Thank you for listening to sermons by Chaplain Braswell. This ministry desires to help people know and live for Christ through the preaching of God's Word. And now, today's message. Well, good morning. It's good to be here once again and see you. My name is Chaplain Dan Braswell. This is a monumental occasion a little bit for me personally because for the first time in 10 years, I'm preaching out of a new Bible that is so much heavier than my old Bible. So God's Word never fails, right? It never changes, but apparently my eyesight does. So after 10 years in about five countries, we've had to make an upgrade. So I had to come up here and do a recon and make sure that the stand that I'm going to use is actually going to hold the Bible. But this is my first time, so I'll be able to see it better, though. So maybe, maybe things will be all right. If you have your Bible, whether that be a hard copy or a digital, I hope that you do. I invite you to turn to Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah chapter 4 as we continue our study on Christ-centered communities. Today I want to look at the thought of how we can commit to and connect with the work of the Lord. How many of y'all, I hope, you're, I hope you believe God's Word in such a way that as we sing about Behold our God and Him in all of His glory in this world where there's all kinds of problems and everybody's got all these quote-unquote smart solutions. How many of you believe that Jesus Christ is the real answer for all those things? Amen. I, I do too. And, and I want to be a part of, of what He's doing. And I met a whole bunch of new people today. Let me, let me do this again. I just want everybody to look around. If you've been on this island for about two months or less, raise your hand. Yeah, that's about a quarter of the people. If you're about to leave in the next two months, raise your hand. I think we have most of our PCSs done. If I asked that about two or three months ago, it was like about a quarter of the population. But I'm glad that we're together at this time, no matter where you're at in your PCS stage. I hope uh, that uh, we can just become a home for each other and a family, a home away from home, as most of us are away from uh, some of our loved ones anyway. For the past three weeks, we've been going through this book. I, I love the book of Nehemiah. Uh, I, I love the concept of Christ-centered community. We've talked about prayer as uh, one of our chaplains really delved into Nehemiah chapter 1 and the prayer. We, we've talked about Nehemiah saw a need and he went and he acted on that need and we've went there. Now we're in Nehemiah chapter 4 where we're going to find ourselves with Nehemiah building the wall. And what you're going to see right out the gate is that Nehemiah runs in to some opposition. I think when I did the intro to Nehemiah, I believe I said this, I think when we think in terms of construction, there's three kinds of people. You have the destructionist. When, when, when I was a little boy, I won't say which sibling, but one of my siblings would, would, would be tearing something up, and my dad would say, is that, are you being constructive or are you being destructive? Well, dad was wanting us to be constructive, but destructive, you're, you're tearing down God's work. Well, I don't... I don't want to tear down anything that God's doing. You also have obstructionists where you're not so much tearing it down, but you're, but you're getting in the way. I don't want to obstruct God's work either. I want to be a constructionist. But as we were thinking about this series and, and when, when we were thinking about how to prepare for Nehemiah, one of the things that kept coming back to our mind is this phrase, the enemy gets a vote. In Nehemiah, as he had a task that God had called him to do, he had some enemies. And I got to thinking about that. 
you know, you and I have some enemies. And before we look at Nehemiah chapter 4, I want to explain to you very briefly who those enemies might be for us. There are three things, and we're not even to the outline in your bulletin yet or anything, but I just want you to understand that Nehemiah had enemies. We're going to read about some enemies, but you and I have enemies today as well. They are usually in one of three categories. It is the devil himself, Satan, and all his crowd that Henderson read about, the spiritual warfare. It's Satan. It's the world, and what we mean by that is the world system, the culture that we live in that is anti-God. And then it is the flesh. In other words, I've seen the enemy and it's me. Sometimes I'm my own worst enemy. I get all that. We won't turn there, but I get all that from Ephesians chapter 2. And you can just make a note of that. We're, I don't want to say too much because in about two months we're going to be preaching through the book of Ephesians. But when you read Ephesians chapter 2, you're going to hear Paul say that we were uh, dead in trespasses and sins. And he says in that chapter that we were following the prince of the power of the air. So there's the devil. That's one of our enemies, the devil, who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Well, Paul also says that one of our enemies is the world. He says in that, in that passage in Ephesians, following the course of the world. Sometimes you and I get off track as we forget that we're citizens of heaven, we're God, of God's kingdom, and not so much citizens of this world. So you and I, we, we have an enemy named the world, meaning the world system that is not godly. And when we go down that road, that becomes an enemy that obstructs or destructs the work of God in our lives. And in Ephesians, Paul not only talks about the prince of the power of the air, the, the, the devil, he talks about the course of this world, the world. He even says that one of the enemies is we followed when we were dead in our sins, we followed the passions of our flesh. I don't know about you, but there's times if I'm honest with myself and I look back in my life, I cannot so much blame Satan. I cannot so much blame the world. It was me who did wrong. I've got plenty of wrong in my own life to take care of. Those are our, our enemies. And I want you to understand that we have enemies. Nehemiah had enemies, and we're going to read about them in just a minute, but we had enemies too. If you and I are going to commit to and connect to the work of the Lord, we're going to have to turn to God, but we're also going to have to work together. As I was preparing for this message, I ran across a story about two little boys who were riding a bicycle. And it was one of those, one of those tandem bicycles that two people can ride at the same time. You know what I'm talking about? Each of, the, each of the boys had a seat. The front guy steered, but the back guy, he had a little place to sit, and they both had pedals. And bicycle built for two, these two boys talking about working together and what it takes to connect with other people, they were, they were going to climb this hill. And the little boys got on this hill, maybe like some of the hills that are on the island of Oahu, pretty steep. And they huffed and they puffed, and especially that front boy, he, just, he was just going to town, just pedaling as hard as he could. And of course, he just looks in what's front of him, and he's, he's pedaling and he's pedaling. And finally, after what seemed like a long time, they made it to the top. And that boy in the front, he turned around to his friend. He said, man, that sure was a hard climb. And the boy in the back, he said, yeah. And if I hadn't kept the brakes on all the way, we would have went backwards down that hill. They needed to work together. Let me ask you this question. Has there been times in your life where you needed to get on, get on board with what God's program was for your life? And did you have the brakes on like that little boy? 
Was there a time in your life where instead of working with somebody, you're working against somebody? I know nobody in here has ever had a work relationship or a, a relationship in the military where you felt like people weren't clicking because they were against each other instead of working together. Uh, I know there's no families in here that's ever had conflict because of a lack of communication. That never happens, right? No, it always happens because every strong bonds I've ever taught, that's the first thing that comes up. Chaplain, teach us how to do communication. We're still cranking out strong bonds. I think we're still trying to figure it out, and Lord willing, we'll keep working on it. But you and I, to connect with the work of God and to commit to the work of God, we're going to need the help of the Lord, but we're also going to need each other. We will need to surround ourselves with others to do this work, and those are the ideas that we're going to be talking about as we look at Nehemiah chapter number four. If you have it, let's go ahead and read a little bit of it together. He has been rebuilding this wall in Nehemiah chapter three. We're going to pick up in chapter four with some more enemies. Now, when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he, he jeered at the Jews. He's mocking them. Verse 2, and he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, so by the way, he doesn't, it's not just him, he's, he's got some backup here. He says, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and the burned ones at that? Verse number 3 talks about Tobiah the Ammonite. He's kind of like a... Tobiah is like the little toady of the, of the big bully. I, you remember that great American classic, A Christmas Story with the Red Rider BB gun? Uh, the, 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 the antagonist, I guess you could say, of that story is Scott Fargus. Remember Scott Fargus? And he's the one who, 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 beat and, who bullied all the little boys, and he bullied the boy who had the Red Rider BB gun and all that stuff. And he had a little guy beside him who would kind of go, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Tobiah. We've all met people like that. Sometimes you got the big blustering bully, and sometimes you got the guy who aligns him or herself with the bully and just kind of goes, yeah, yeah. Y'all know those people, don't you? Y'all ran across them. By the way, maybe some of y'all are those people. I mean, somebody has to actually be the, be the bully. Somebody's the bully. Maybe some of us have been the bully. I don't know. Or, or the recipients. Well, anyway, you got big, bad, sand ballot, blustery, but then you got Tobiah. Look at his little statement in verse 3. He says, Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, yes, what they're building, if a fox goes up on it, it'll break down their stone wall. Oh, it's so weak, a, a little animal's going to knock it down. Yes, thank you, little toady, for your little snide comment, whatever. Y'all know people like that? I know people like that. Maybe, maybe some of us are those people. I want to be the constructionist, though. Let's keep going. So he's got enemies. <clears throat> now, in verse number four, you know what he does? He goes right back to prayer. Check this out. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Uh, turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. He's been reading the imprecatory songs. He's been reading the laments. He's like, oh God, we're in trouble. I need you to take care of these enemies for me. Verse number eight, do not cover their guilt and not let their, do not let their sin be blotted out from your sight for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. In spite of Sanballat, in spite of Tobiah, in spite of all the enemy shenanigans to stop them, verse number 6 reads this. So we built the wall. And the wall was joined together to half its height, watch this, for the people had a mind to work. 
the people had a mind to work. Today, as we talk about how to commit to and connect to the work of the Lord, I want to give you point number one is this. I think it's in your bulletin. It'll be on the screen. Point number one, you have to commit to the work to begin with. What God is calling you and me to do is, is, is not be in the way of the work, not focus on the enemies, but focus on what God has called us to do. We just read verse number six, the English Standard Version, which I'm reading out of, says the people had a mind to work. The New American Standard uses the word mind as well. If you look at the note, literally the word is heart, and a couple of other translations translate it something to the effect of because they committed to the work with all their heart. The heart being the innermost, your, your, your inner core, your guts, your, the innermost part of your being. In other words, they had a mindset, they had their heart set on the fact that God has called me to do this and I'm going to commit to doing it. It's interesting to me that as we look at committing to the work, Nehemiah puts his hand to, to it to the work on the, on the one hand, but on the other side, he prays like crazy. So it makes me ask, well, which one is it? Do I just pray to God or, or, or do I work? Well, Augustine said years and years ago, he said, pray as though everything depended on God, but work as though everything depended on you. Many times when you and I pray about what God has called us to commit to, God will then begin to answer our prayers and he'll tug at our hearts. I'll give you an illustration. Chaplain Glenn Thompson, who was on our team for, for years and years, uh, in fact, he's got more tenure at Schofield Community Chapel than anybody else currently <clears throat> on our team. Wheeler Chapel needed a chaplain to, to step up as the senior pastor, and <clears throat> he prayed about it, and then he shared with me that he went over there, and he said he just could not bear the thought of, of a chapel going a Sunday and not having a chaplain to take the charge and lead and, and just lead God's people over there. So Glenn Thompson prayed, but then he acted on his prayer and he went. Maybe some of you have a story like that. Maybe some of you, God's placed something on your heart. And then God turns right back around after we pray and says, Oh, guess what? I got an answer to that prayer. You are the answer to the prayer. Commit to the work. It takes prayer, but it also takes our work and our commitment. Now notice we're going to have criticism. We're going to have people who, who are enemies. We've already read about Sandballot. He actually has a, he, he's, he's a, he ends up being basically an insurgent. And by the way, some of y'all are familiar with this kind of operation. If you read this from a mil with military eyes, this is really a story about a counterinsurgency operation. Because when you read it, you have this group of people who are, have the mission of rebuilding a wall and then later on, we're going to read that they're pulling security all around the people who are rebuilding the wall. Does that sound like a familiar mission that maybe some of y'all in this room have probably been a part of? Some engineers or somebody or maybe an Air Force, the Red Horse team is working on an airfield. And then what's around them? Security. Some of y'all's done some of those kind of things. Well, he had enemies on the outside, but he also had enemies uh, within. Look down at verse number 10. We haven't read that yet. <clears throat> Verse number 10, this is within, this is his own people, the naysayers, the, the ones who are fearful. They say in verse 10, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves, we won't be able to rebuild the wall. It's the, it's the, it's the negative 
people. It's, it's the people who, are, who, who can't get on board because they're just so fearful that it can't be done. It's too big. It's too overwhelming. By the way, the person who says it can't be done, don't get in the way of the person who's actually trying to do it. I don't know who said that, but I liked it. I tried to claim it, but it's not mine. But it's good. The person who says it can't be done shouldn't get in the way of the person who's trying to actually do it. In here you have, you have complaining. You, you have people who are fearful. But these people had a mind to work. I believe it was a couple of weeks ago, Chaplain Runnell shared with us, and you don't have to turn there, but I'll read it to you, that great passage in Psalm 127 that says, Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. What is God calling you to commit to? Is it a particular ministry somewhere? Is it maybe God's laid on your heart that He wants you to start family devotions with your family and you say, that's just something I, I should do. Well, commit. And, and have a mind and a heart to be a part of God's work. God is calling us to be a part of what He is doing. And the first thing we do, number one, is commit to the work. But number two is this. Point number two is we continue in the work. In other words, finish well. It, it's not just what we start, it's what we finish. The, the work is a continual thing because I'll give you a little bit of the rest of the story. By the time we get to the end of Nehemiah chapter 4, they're still plugging away at this wall. And when you read verse number 6, what did it say? They built the wall to half its height. So they're only halfway there. They're, they're two miles into the four-mile run, so to speak. They've got miles to go before they sleep. So it not only takes a commitment, it takes that con continuality. It takes that idea that I'm going to stick with this. When I was a little boy, I distinctly remember working with my dad with... Back then, I was working on my Ph.D. Y'all, Anybody got in here got a Ph.D.? The post-hole digger degree. That's what we used to call it. A post hole digger, and I remember I was I was I, I wasn't always six foot two. I was shorter back then, obviously, and, and and a lot smaller. But I remember, hey, Dad, give it to me. I'll dig a hole, and I watched him do it. And of course, he, you know, he gets it. You got you got to get pretty far down in the ground to you put a post. Well, I took that post as about a ten year old, and I just kind of, you know, I might have got that deep. And and what did I do? I finally I just quit. I didn't get my PhD that day. I think nowadays we've got a lot of people who don't have that kind of Ph.D., and I think it might show a little bit sometimes. Everybody ought to have a little post-hole digging degree, you know. But to, to get all the way down to the bottom, man, if you ever use the post, who's used the post-hole digger? you got to keep at it, man. It just, you don't get big chunks at a time sometimes. You, you just got to keep going, man. It just it never is. Keep going. I want to read a little bit more about what Nehemiah and his crowd had to deal with. Look at verse number 11. We haven't read that yet in Nehemiah chapter 4. Listen to the rest of the story. Our enemies, here they are again, they said they will not know or see that we come among them and kill them and stop the work. There's your insurgency operation. Verse 12, at the same time, the Jews who lived near to them came from all directions and said to us 10 times, you must return to us. They needed help. So in the lowest parts of the space, Verse 13, behind the wall in open places, I want you to visualize this, I station people by their clans or, or their families with their swords, with their spears, and with their bows. 
And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Nehemiah saw the fear. He sensed the fear. And he says, Remember the Lord who is great and who is awesome and fight for your brothers, your daughters, your wives, or your homes. They had a mind to work, but they continued in that work. They, they stuck with it, even amongst the enemies. Every single time we do something awesome for the Lord, Satan's not going to like it. Uh, every time we do something awesome for the Lord, there's going to be somebody out there who doesn't like it, who thinks that's crazy. If I'm not careful, my own flesh will get in the way, and I'll make it all about me instead of all about God. But God is calling us to continue in the work like Nehemiah did, like his team did, like, like those folks did. Great ideas happen in the shower, but it's what we do when we dry off that matters. It, it, it's not just a commitment. It's a continuation. What is God calling you to continue in? I was actually talking to a, a single mom last week, and she specifically asked me. She said, um, she said, can you give me some Bible verses on, on, on what God says about moms and motherhood? And I was like, oh, yeah, I'd love to do that. And, and, and what, what, she was, what she was concerned about was, you know, she didn't, want, it, she didn't want, to, want to feel like she's doing something that's mundane. And I said, no, you, just, you keep on keeping on. You are, you are laser focused on raising your child in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You, you, you keep in there. And let me give you these scriptures that will be an encouragement to you. Even on those mundane days where every day feels like a Monday and it just eat, sleep, repeat, work, and all those kind of things, you just hang in there and you just stick with it. Continue in that work. Jesus makes a statement and I'll read it to you. In fact, I'll give you a moment. You can turn there. Turn to John chapter 10. I want you to see this. In John chapter 10, Jesus talks about a comparison between who a shepherd is and who a hired hand is. In John chapter 10, you can turn there. Just hold your place in Nehemiah chapter 4. We'll be right back there. <clears throat> John chapter 10 says this. Beginning in verse 11, Jesus makes this great statement. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now watch this. The hired hand, he's not like the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But verse 14, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep. And my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus is talking about himself and the fact that he's the sacrificial lamb, but he's also sharing with us a principle that God is calling you and God is calling me to a work, and he's calling us to have what in the army we might call an all-in mentality. He, Jesus calls it being a shepherd as opposed to being a hired hand. That is someone who's committed and someone who's committed to stay with it. When I was in college, I had a job with a landscape company and I cut grass for a living. Now, if when I was cutting grass, I had an uh, officer evaluation report to write, I might say that my job was something like this. I might say, Dan Braswell meticulously sculpted 
over 8,000 acres of lawn in about, let's say, I, I cut grass for rich people, so Chaplain Braswell, Dan Braswell, landscaped 8,000 acres of lawn and cut grass for $50 million worth of property. That's how we ride it in the Army. But all that's a fancy way to say I cut grass for a guy who ran a grass cut company. So I cut grass, right? And this guy, he was a nice man. He's an older man. He would come to us and he would say, he would come to the job site and he'd, he'd get all the bubbas together who's cutting grass and weed eating and stuff. And he'd go, I just want to tell y'all, thank you. And then he'd, then he'd walk away. And one of the guys who worked with me, he, 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 didn't like the, he didn't like the boss man. He said, I don't know why Mr. Skelton always comes and tells us thank you. He's growling. He said, because I'll tell you what, if he wasn't paying me, I wouldn't be out here cutting grass. <laughs> he, he told me that, and I thought, man, this guy's a jerk. Why you got to be that way? But I'll tell you what, even in his anger and his kind of rotten attitude, the bubba beside me had a point, didn't he? Because I was in college and I was making eight bucks an hour cutting grass for Mr. Skelton. And yeah, Mr. Skelton came and told me thank you. But if Mr. Skelton quit paying me my eight bucks an hour and just said, hey, here's all the grass you want, come cut it. You know what I'd have done? See you later. I'll go find somebody else to pay me eight dollars an hour to cut grass. Why? Why, why would I leave if he wasn't paying me? Because I'm what? I'm a hired hand. It's just a job. I'm going to leave it. Go get another one. What God is calling you and me to do is to have the mentality of a shepherd. In Jesus' story, it says the hired hand, it's not his sheep, not my problem. You ever heard anybody say that? Not my problem. The wolf comes to steal the sheep. You can have the sheep. <laughs> not my sheep, not my problem. Well, that might be okay if you're cutting grass and they quit paying you. Go cut grass somebody somewhere else. If he's working at a convenience store and a guy came with a gun and you didn't have a gun, what you want? You want the cash register? You want the cash? Here, take some drinks with you. Why? I'm just a hired hand. I'm just getting paid hourly. Have it. I'm not putting my life on the line. But what God is calling you and, and me to do is the same thing that God called Nehemiah to do. And that is to commit to whatever God is calling you to do in your life. Whether that's as a mom, whether that's as a dad, whether that's as a single soldier, whether that's to be a part of this ministry or that ministry, God is calling us to understand that there's things in our lives that are worth fighting for. By the way, why do you think Nehemiah stationed everybody in verse number 14? I'm back in Nehemiah chapter 4, by the way. You can go ahead and turn back there. We'll be there the rest of the time. Why do you think he stationed them in, excuse me, verse 13, by their families with their spears and their swords and their bows? The reason he did so is because his thought process is, if I put this, this soldier, this, this man on top with his sword and everything, and he knows his family's behind him, guess what? He's going to set up a good, strong defense, and he's going to be a good soldier, and he's going to fight, because what's behind him is very important. Nehemiah understood family was worth fighting for. Nehemiah says in, this, in verse 14, remember the Lord. Nehemiah understands that our faith is worth fighting for. These people were fighting for their very futures, if you think about it, because if you didn't have a wall, you didn't have security, you already had enemies coming after you, you had to set something up to provide protection for your people. Nehemiah understood that his family, that his faith, and that his future are important. I would contend that today, your family and your faith and your future are still important and are still worth fighting for. God is calling us to continue in this work. Nehemiah has to deal with enemies throughout the book, even after he completes the wall. 
Those enemies still keep coming. We're, that's a little bit of a spoiler alert, but the enemies seem to just keep on coming. You and I are always going to deal with the devil. We're always going to deal with the world, and we're always going to deal with our own flesh until we get to heaven. We have to stay vigilant and continue in the work. But then point number three, and we've, we're going to look at the rest of this passage. Point number three is vital. We have to connect with others in the work. We can't have this one person pedaling like crazy and one person holding the brakes on so we don't go backwards, crazy stuff. We have to connect with others in the work. I want you to look at the rest of this story, beginning in verse number 15. He's, picture what's happening. He has them stationed around the wall, with the, aligned with their families, and now here's what happens. You hear the sort of the battle plan here for how they conduct their counterinsurgency operation. When the enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, by the way, even the enemies knew God was in, God had something going on, we all returned to the wall, each to his work, continuing to work. But notice the we. It's a team. Verse 16. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, the shields, and the bows, and the coats of mail. Does that sound familiar? Half the people are working on a project. Half the people are pulling security. Go to verse 17. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. I imagine a sword or something in one hand and I imagine, I imagine a trowel in the other hand for building a wall. Verse 18. And each of the builders had a sword strapped at his side while he built. And the man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread and we're separated on the wall far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there and our God will fight for us. Trusting God with everything they got, but they're working together as well with everything they've got. Verse 21, we labored at the work, there it is. And half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. They even started setting up guard shifts. Sound familiar? Verse 22. I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem that they may be a guard for us by day and may labor uh, by, excuse me, guard for us by night and labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. No rest for the, for the leaders there, right? Each kept his weapon at his right hand. God is calling us to connect with others uh, in, in the work. Nehemiah cared for these people. Nehemiah took care of these people. Nehemiah knew they were hurting. If you go back and look at verses 11 and 12, you see the people's concerns. Remember, back in, back in verse 11, uh, they know no one will see them until they come, and they'll come and kill us. By ourselves, we're not able to complete the work. The people are concerned. Nehemiah heard the concerns of the people. Nehemiah took care of the people. Today, when we, when we see a leader who we might say is a hired hand and who doesn't care about people, or a leader who only looks out for themselves, our, our modern day, we might call them a toxic leader. That person is a toxic leader. They don't care about people. They step, every, they step on everybody on their way to whatever their goals are. Nehemiah is not that at all. Nehemiah is looking after people, looking after people who are, who are hurting. 
We need each other. One of the greatest gifts that God gives you and God gives me is one another. In this concept of connecting with others, we, you know this just as well as I do. We live in a society where with technology, in some ways, we're more connected than ever, but in other ways, we're more disconnected than ever. I read some statistics last week about depression. Depression is just as high today. It's even, even in the state of Hawaii, it's, it's, very, it's very high. It's higher than you think it would be. You can go uh, read it and, and check it out. We all read stats all the time about the military and suicide and suicide ideations and depressions. Even though we spend more money than ever on medication, legal and illegal, we spend uh, over-the-counter and prescription medication. We're doing more of that kind of stuff than we ever have. It doesn't seem to solve all the problem. I ran across... Several years ago, while I was at Walter Reed, I had an opportunity to read a lot of these different peer-reviewed articles, and I read across a peer-reviewed psychology article that did a study for eight weeks on individuals who had behavioral health and, and, and psych, a lot of psychotic type, of, you know, serious, serious uh, mental health challenges. They did a study of these people for eight weeks. For eight weeks, they let this group over here only focus on themselves and do self-help things, which aren't necessarily bad, but let me share with you what the study said. The self-help crowd did the self-help stuff for eight weeks. Over here, they took another crowd, similar mental health issues, and over here they said, you're going to do what, what we call um, compassion uh, projects. In other words, this group did things where they spent time and love and energy caring for somebody else. This group over here did eight weeks of just self stuff. This group over here, they took them, they put them together, and they gave them projects where they helped other people. Guess what the psychology world found? Apparently, when you put a group of people together, working together to help somebody else, it will help their mental health. Wow. Thank you, great report, for telling us what Jesus told us 2,000 years ago when he said what? It is more blessed to give than receive. So I was not shocked at all to see that, sure enough, when you put people together and you give them opportunities to connect with other people and help other people, it makes them feel better. That is simply a byproduct of a biblical principle. You and I desperately need to belong to something. God made us that way. We need to connect with something. Helping others, obviously, as the study says, is, is good for you. Nehemiah understood this principle very clearly, and that is why he stationed people to work together. I love the image of the trumpet. Remember Nehemiah said the trumpet blower, he kind of stayed beside Nehemiah. It was like his radio guy, you know. If you needed anything, he would blow the trumpet, and everyone would rally. That tells me two things. Number one, people knew that if they heard the cry, they would go for help. But it also taught me the second thing is that people knew that if I did cry out for help, others around me would come and would help me. That's what connecting with others in the work looks like. That's what serving with other people looks like. What are ways God is calling you and God is calling me to connect with others in God's work? Is God calling you to be a part of a ministry? I don't know if you know this, and we haven't really announced it yet, but Awana will start in the fall, which is a wonderful children's ministry where we pour our hearts and lives into little children 
and we teach them about God's Word. Maybe God's calling you uh, to do that. What I've found is I've done a wana over the years is that when, when those little groups of, of leaders begin to work together teaching children, they, they form a bond. There are Bible studies that go on all over this island. Chaplain Runnels, uh, one of our chaplains, he has a, he has a Bible study on, on Sunday night. We have a Bible study that meets right here in this room called Navigators on Tuesdays at 6.30. Right here in this room, you are welcome to come and to connect and to, and to plug in. Um, Kaylin came up here just a few moments ago and shared a, a wonderful way for our teenagers to connect. And our, da- our daughter is in, in that group as well. And what I've noticed is that the Bible study is great, but it, it's just simply the connection with other Christians. It helps people to know they're with other people. They've got people they can count on. Our ladies all across this island will have uh, an opportunity for a ministry called Protestant Women of the Chapel. I think I got some PWC ladies in here right now. They'll begin to meet in just about a month, I think, on Tuesdays, and, and they'll have a nightly Bible study as well. One of the greatest gifts that God gives us is each other. God is calling you and God is calling me to connect with what he's put in our hearts and to connect with others in that. I need you. We need each other. What our hope and our prayer is, is that we don't become one who simply riding up that hill puts on the brakes. But I also don't want to become one who feels as if I'm pedaling up that hill by myself. I want to be able to know that God is with me, I want you to be able to know that God is with you and that you're one who commits to the Lord's work and connects with others because you know God's with you and because we know that we have each other's back. We can count on each other because we connect with each other as well. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you that you give us your son Jesus Christ as we think about our title for our overall series of Christ-centered community, I pray that we would be just that, that we would recognize that while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, that you, Jesus Christ, died for us. What a thought. What a Savior we have through you. We thank you for the life and the salvation we have through Jesus Christ. I pray that As we've heard your word, no doubt, God, you've laid things on our heart that you've called us to do. God, give us the courage to commit. God, put people in our lives that will be a blessing to us. And God, help us to look around and see those people we can connect with. I pray that for those who are are fairly new to the island, I pray that you would bring people in their lives who are other believers, who they can encourage one another and become great friends over the years they're here. God, I pray that you would... Meet the needs of our congregation. No doubt, as we come and gather, we have many different things on our hearts and on our minds. I pray that we would lay them all at your feet. Help us to be a part of what we're do, what you're doing. And God, may we connect with others and connect with you as we try to be Christ-centered in our families, our community. And God, may that ultimately impact Schofield and beyond for your glory. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.